Hello, hello, Kristen here. Just wanted to let you know that this episode was recorded before the podcast name change. If you hear any old terminology, that's why. Thank you for listening. I'm so excited to bring you today's episode of the Notable Woman podcast. When I first thought about doing a series on rest, it was because I felt like the world was overwhelmed. It was burdened. So much loss and so much grief. So many people who lost their jobs, even people who haven't gotten sick from COVID-19 or lost their jobs or homes. They have this overwhelming workload of working at the same time as parenting in a pandemic, at the same time as explaining things like pandemics to their children, managing virtual schooling, navigating, getting their parents the vaccine. It's just overwhelmingly complicated. On top of what was an already overworked society, in my opinion. So I felt like this conversation was so needed by so many, especially right now. And I'm so excited to bring you this next episode. My guest is Allison Tedford. Allison came into my world through Julie Neal, founder of Mother's Quest, and I've known her for some time now on social media. And I'm always impressed with her. I'm impressed with how she approaches issues and how she thinks about things. And what is phenomenal about Allison is the number of projects that she has going on, which we'll talk about in this episode, but that she also has a chronic illness. And that by being able to have the freedom to control her life and operate in ways that make the most sense, she has done so much good in the world in so many ways. She's created a life that she loves. She's helping her amazing clients. She's doing phenomenal work in the anti-racism space. And I'm so impressed with her all the time. And I think you will really enjoy hearing someone who has fully embraced this idea of rest and what it looks like in real time and then what the results can be. So here you go. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hello, notable women. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know you love today's guest. This is actually the first time that I'm speaking to her, though I have been reading all of her social media posts for a very long time. So it seems like I have an encyclopedic knowledge of Alison Tedford. That is why. So she is an indigenous entrepreneur and author from Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada. Her experiences building a business while managing chronic pain have led her to write her first book, Chronic Profit. Allison, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's so wonderful. So we are doing a series on rest right now. And so I had uh, mentioned in, in Julie Neal's group, who I am pretty sure that is how I know you, is through Julie. That's entirely possible. We, Julie and I work together and and I love her. I was a fan of her podcast before I worked with her. And, and yeah, it's just exciting yes i i think she's delightful and often i feel like oftentimes on this podcast i'm like i think julie introduced us because it just like just seems like that's her superpower so that i'm pretty sure is how i know you and how i've started to follow your work and read everything about what you're doing and i had mentioned that i wanted to do a series on rest and you mentioned that this was totally in your wheelhouse so i thank you for coming in to talk about this particular topic. And I think it very much connects with your book that you wrote about chronic profit, because obviously chronic illness and working is, Mm -hmm. particularly I feel like in COVID-19 land, people are starting to get much more clarity around the complexities 
of work while you're dealing with an illness of any kind, let alone a chronic illness. And so do you mind sharing a little bit of your story with us? For sure. I started my career working in government, and but I had chronic health complaints and I wasn't really sure what was going on. That made it a bit harder to get accommodated in the workplace. And I just knew I needed to be living life differently. So I ended up subcontracting as a social media manager, fell in love with it, and basically ran away and joined the circus. So within four months, I had a full-time business and I waved goodbye to my friends at the Canadian government and started working from my sofa and building a marketing practice. And it was a really cool experience. And after that, I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which explained all of the things that were wrong before. And it's not necessarily the most like treatable, definitely not curable condition. There's lifestyle changes that you can make that can make it more manageable. So I have been navigating that journey for a few years now. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I can definitely see that, again, I I do not have a chronic illness. I've interviewed many people on the podcast and had many people in my group who have talked about the complexities of chronic illness and work, which is, in general, absolutely not accommodating whatsoever. You have to actually cut yourself open and be like, I bleed for this job. <laughs> can't possibly admit that there's anything else in life you care about, let alone be sick, let alone not be able to do certain things. I remember when I first went back to work after having my tiny human, and I had been very much taught that you do not eat in meetings. That was like very you know, inappropriate at the executive level. And when I had my tiny human and I was making milk, I was eating everything. I was Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven. I said, I'll eat that, I'll eat that, I'll eat everything <laughs> under the sun. And I just could could not possibly care. I could not care how you felt about me eating this meeting. I need to eat in this meeting. I'm going to pass out and die. And I just, it really helped clarify for me something I had never really understood, which is if there are things that you have to do for your physical well-being and the workplace frowns upon it, whether it's coming in to work at different times or leaving at certain times, not coming in in certain conditions, certain workplace accommodations, I really I'm an empathetic person, so I won't say I ever said, no, you don't get whatever it is that you need. But I really started to understand how complicated it must be. And in mm-hmm. my episode with Julie Morganlender, we talked a lot about how so much of what we've been taught is a sham, essentially, that you couldn't work from home, that you couldn't have these accommodations. And so COVID-19 is really blowing all of that up, I think, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. For you about as you started to make that transition into working for yourself, how have you incorporated the rest that you need into your personal schedule and found that fit for yourself? For me, working for myself meant that I could work when I'm like most able to do things. So I woke up at five o'clock this morning and I was in the zone. So I worked through some things and And then I stopped and had some breakfast. And so I'm able to slot work in where I have the energy to do it as long as I meet the deadlines. The other thing that I did was I significantly invested in sleep-related things. Like I I have an adjustable bed Mm. that 
elevates my head and my feet so that and a really good mattress and a CPAP machine and like all of the things so that my rest is optimized because without it, I am not very useful. So those are some of the pieces and really looking at my mental capacity and looking at what changes I need to make in my business in order to make sure that I'm not mentally exhausted by the end of the day and finding strategies to stay really organized, to streamline things so that it's not such a battle to stay awake and do the things. That's excellent. It's so great to hear that you're, that it's a combination of things, right? It is investing in yourself and then also responding to your own needs, your own physical needs. So working when you should be and not working when you shouldn't be. I've often thought in the nine to five life that the whole idea of you will sit in this office chair, whether you are being productive or not, whether it would be better suited for you to go take a walk in the park or Mm -hmm. something like that. But no, you must sit in this chair and be productive. And even positioning, like some, I, my joints do weird things. And sometimes I have to sit in awkward positions that might look uncomfortable and maybe not very workplace appropriate, but it's how I need to feel comfortable. And just being able to control my environment, like I'm somebody who gets really easily overstimulated. So working in an open concept office was really challenging. And I was working in a role that did a lot of statistical analysis. And I was working directly beside a really emotionally charged customer service department. Mm. So that was a lot of input to be taking in while also trying to do the things. So having an optimized environment is really important for me in order to be successful. Those are amazing points. I definitely, the first time, so I'm a theater person by training and theater people, we do our actual work wherever we want to. And then we do our shows, obviously, and our rehearsals in our theater spaces. But actors don't learn lines three feet away from a customer service rep. And stage managers don't work on complicated queuing sequences next to, I don't know, a finance person. If I'm going, da, 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 go, they're not like, if you talk to yourself one more time, I'm going to stab you in the eye. So we don't, we get to go in our own places and I can do things at night or in the morning. And so when I switched over to nine to five life, I just was astounded. No one is actually getting any work done here. It's totally a myth that we're all just sitting here pretending to work when really these are absolutely the most terrible conditions to get anything done whatsoever. And I just think about, I, I used when I used to share an office with people, I always thought they were so loud. And now that I've been home, my husband said, no, you are loud. You are actually the loud one. You are so obnoxious when you were on the phone. And I said, oh, no one's ever told me that. But I bet you're probably very right. And that is a, a revelation in this new COVID times. So now, how had you've had this experience from work, working for the Canadian government, going into business yourself? And then how did all of this lead to a book? So I always wanted to write a book and I just never really knew how to make it happen. And I thought I was inspired one day and I decided that I was going to pitch the publisher of somebody that I really admire. And and I posted on Facebook and I was like, hey, guys, 
can you please put some good juju out into the world for me because I've pitched this publisher and they're probably going to ignore me. But I would, it would be so cool if this is a thing. And then one of my friends commented and she was like, would you like me to talk about your book to my editor at the publisher that I get published by? And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> if it's not awkward, please change my life. Sure, you may be my fairy godmother if you so choose. And she did. And she can, they were initially interested in the concept. They invited me to send them an email about it. They asked for more clarification about the scope of the problem. They were like, what? I'm trouble visualizing it. Could you maybe give us like a draft book jacket? So I sent them a Google Doc of this draft book jacket. And they came back and they're like, yeah, we shared it with the buyers. They're really interested. Let's send you a contract. And I was like, people traditionally do like these things called book proposals and they swear about them and they're long and they cry. And sometimes they hire people to write them. You usually don't get a book deal because you send an email and a Google Doc and a couple of statistics. But that's how it happened. And yeah, it was very unlikely, but it worked. And so I'm very delighted because they're a really amazing publisher to work with. That's awesome. That is a phenomenal story that I did not read on your social media because <laughs> clearly I haven't sucked you to the level that I thought that I had done so. That That is so amazing. And I really think that that's something I often tell people, which is that if you want something, just saying it out loud to other people will often carry it forward into the world because the thing that you need, like that contact, would have not known that, that was something that you wanted to do. So it's amazing. Uh, yeah, that's something that's definitely been the case. When I, my sister and I decided that we wanted to launch this clothing line, I shared that and all of a sudden, one of my friends reached out and was like, hey, I've got a factory, I have a pattern designer, I have a trademark agent, I have a fabric person, like... I mean, I connect you with all these people, like everybody we needed was all lined up. So like definitely putting it out there and, and asking for support is, has been really one of the best ways because people want to help. They absolutely do. And that makes me want to talk about the other thing that I stalk you about on social media, which is your absolutely wonderful taste in attire that is both beautiful, lovely, and comfortable. So I don't know what other people call them. I call them onesies, but <laughs> <laughs> you have often suggested. Is that what you call them? What do you call them? They call them rompers or jumpsuits, but onesies also. Like <laughs> I tend to call like my jammy type ones more like onesies. Yeah. But yeah, they're like they're my favorite. I probably have one for every day of the week. And they just bring me so much joy because I'm like, I believe in being aggressively comfortable because Life is too short to be wearing things that make you hate, you know, breathing, right? Yes, absolutely. And that's what I love about everything that you talk about when you come, when you talk about fashion, when you talk about clothing, is that it can look good and you can mm -hmm. feel great. And that's something that I had to really transition out of, particularly being a New York City person, right? New York City people feel this way they feel about clothes, which is, you know, they've got opinions and... I had decided, I'm going to say it was like late 2019 into the beginning of 2020, that I had decided I was only going to wear shoes now that made me feel grounded, that I was sort of tired of being in shoes that, you know, squished my toes or felt like they were weapons. I just wanted to feel like very grounded in everything that I did and in all the spaces that I moved. 
And I'm glad I made that decision before heading into the pandemic where I think I wear sneakers, slippers, <laughs> and that's essentially, yeah. I haven't worn a real shoe. And I consider those, those are real shoes. But I did, I did wear snow boots because it's been snowing quite a bit, but that's, that's really amazing. My favorite thing about shoes is that my feet are child-sized. Like, I can literally wear a size 4 in children's shoes. So I have shoes that light up because I believe that shoes should be fun. And in terms of the comfort, like, we think about the ratty, like, sweatpants or, like, the oversized T-shirts that, like, have last Tuesday's soup stains on them or whatever. Like, we talk about why you hang on to them. It's like, but it's so comfortable. It can also look amazing and be comfortable. Like they don't have, comfortable clothes don't have to look terrible. And that's, that's my fashion perspective. <laughs> I love it. I think it's, I think it's so true. And I think that it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I have no, no clairvoyance on pandemic and what's going to happen with it when it's going to end or whatever. Hopefully it does. But I have a feeling that people are not going to be running back to put on painful clothes. They're going to say, okay, I, I do want to go to a bookstore. I do want to go to a bar. I want to see live music. But I'm not going to put that painful whatever it is on ever again. At least that's my hope. Is that what we Yeah. Yeah. I hope we don't go back to uncomfortable clothes. I hope we don't go back to a world where admitting you're lonely is like an awkward thing. And I hope... We don't go back to going to work when sick mm. because culturally that was just something that you like soldiered on. And that was something that was like admired. And now it's, and you did what when you were sick, like way to infect the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's become like less cool to just go in there while you're hacking your face off, stay home. So I hope we, we stick with that because it's important. Yes, it absolutely is. And I think that there's so much around our society's push for just constantly going and not taking any of these opportunities to stop and pause, which is what rest and, and the series is all about, which is that when you're tired, you should sleep. When you're sick, you should stay home. When you need to take a break, you should take a break and not do this pushing forward, soldiering on. And it comes in two waves, which is both the one that, that you mentioned, which is that please don't come to work if you're sick. <laughs> please like take care of yourself and don't spread it around the office. I, When I made the decision to close my office, which was before New York City closed down, I had multiple emails from staff members that were sick. And so we we're in New York City. So we we're in, you know, the epicenter of the epicenter. And I, I told people, okay, I have so many emails from people right now that, that are sick, that it's just time to close down. We should just not even try mm -hmm. to be open anymore. And that was at the time considered incredibly drastic, right? <laughs> to not, to, to say, you have a sniffle, I'm concerned. I don't know enough about this virus. You should stay home. But then also this idea of taking care of yourself, which yeah. is outlandish now for so many people that you would rest when you need to and that you would stop and that you don't have to, you know, I, I, I it's probably extreme to say like be a martyr for the cause, but having worked mm -hmm. in 
nine to five corporate America, higher ed nonprofits and theater. <laughs> that's the that's really the belief system, which is that you get a star for this kind of thing. Yeah. And, and the reality is that we feel like there's just so much put on productivity and that like rest is the opposite of that. When in reality, it's part of that, right? That is the time where you can innovate. That is the time where you get new ideas. That's when you're breaking away from your routine and stepping outside of yourself and letting new things come in. So that rest is not, it's part of the program. It's not stepping out of it. If you need to justify it from a productivity perspective, it is key to productivity to take a rest. But I don't think that it needs to be productive in order to be valuable. And I think it's how we recognize ourselves as valuable. Even factories with machinery have to like let them cool down a bit. Like you can't be running everything all the time and your body isn't really any different. You wouldn't like take a really expensive piece of integral equipment to your business and tie it to the back of a bumper, go for a joyride. That would be crazy. Like, why would you drag your investment around like that? Like when you're the most important piece, like you you can't just be running it into the ground by not resting either because that's the same thing. Absolutely. And I agree with all those points that if you need to think about it from a productivity standard, then you can do that and know that rest is integral to being productive. And in fact, it will improve your productivity and that also, you don't need to be productive. You're amazing and valuable just as you are as a person. And mm -hmm. that person deserves care and attention. And that that things that matter to us and have value, that they should be treated that way. I think those are all great points. Now, it does make me think, because we're talking about your, we're talking about your book and your business. And then, of course, you mentioned your clothing line. I know that you also have a coffee company that you're starting. Yes. So yes. exciting process that I'm working with a friend who has a coffee company and we're launching a really fun line of coffee for International Women's Day. And coffee is like part of my love language. And I love a good latte. And it just really made sense in terms of a collaboration. So we're going to be doing doing that for March and it's going to be really awesome. I'm stoked. That is amazing. So now we've got clothing company, coffee company. I'm going to need that link by the way. <laughs> so I just want to be clear about that. International Women's Day coffee, me, perfection. It's a match made in heaven. And then of course your book. And it, it certainly makes me think that all of these things that you're doing, they're very creative. And so yes. do, do you feel like by being able to be in control of your own schedule and to to take care of yourself the way you need to, has that really helped expand your creativity? Definitely, because I'm not I'm able to think about things from different perspectives. And the people that I interact with tend to be people who support that level of balance. Like because I'm very transparent about my my health concerns. So people who work with me are aware of what's going on and they we work together to make sure that things happen and that I'm able to take care of myself and they can take care of themselves. So being in that kind of supportive professional relationship means that I have the freedom to, to rest and get creative. 
and that it doesn't have to be like an in the minute, like, quick, come up with this brilliant idea. It's okay to say, I need to percolate on this for a minute and, and take the time and space. Like I get the most brilliant ideas in the bathtub. I spend like one to two hours a day in the bathtub with my bath bombs because one of my besties has a bath bomb company. And yeah, that's, you know, where I get some of my greatest ideas is being able to chill out and just let things simmer. I love that. And now is that something you like to do at a certain time of the day or is it based on how you feel in a certain moment or do you have a routine? I tend to like it in the evening, but sometimes if I'm in discomfort, I will take a break or if I'm really overloaded and super stressed out, then I will just be like, it needs to be a midday bubble bath. And then obviously like my local post office seems to be aware because that's the only time the postman comes with a packet. <laughs> so he's never seen me like not in a towel. I'm always like scrambling out of the bathtub to retrieve something. But yeah, usually it's evening, but sometimes it's afternoon if I'm just like at my max. And it's funny because my, my son's grandmother, her, the running, whenever she was upset about something or like you're in trouble or whatever, she would be like, go take a bath. <laughs> so it was the solution for everything. It was like Windex on my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> it's like a bath will fix that. I definitely feel similarly. That's how my mom feels about baths. baths <laughs> almost everything. And so I too really enjoy my bath time. And it is, I would say, a sacred mom activity in this household. <laughs> I have a client who is a midwife and she refers to it as mother nature's epidural, which I find to be very accurate. Yes. I love that. That is such a good way to describe it. So now I, I do want to, I think I have three more questions off the top of my head from just what you just said, which is, first of all, from a business perspective, how do you start the conversation with folks that who are new to you about the fact that you do work in this way and you do take care of yourself? Usually people come to me actually through either they're either on my Facebook in my world already, or they know somebody who is. And usually I explain, this is what I'm navigating with as, and I, I'm very transparent about it because I've published a lot about it. So if they Google me, they're going to find out. So I may as well tell them and just say, this is what I deal with. This is what that can look like. This is how I work in order to accommodate things. And this is how I need to function. And let's, you know, find a way to make sure that, I get to do the things I need to do and then you get the things that you need and that together we can make some marketing magic. So then my next question, and it's going to follow into the third one, which is that, so your book is, first book is coming out April, 2021, but you already have a second book also. Yes. How is that? How did that come about? When I, ha I handed my book in and then I was like super vulnerable and I was like a useless puddle for like a month laying there like, maybe they won't like it. Maybe nothing I've written has ever been good. <laughs> I was just like the most useless writer for a whole month. And I was like, I wrote them. I was like, how does, because they optioned my next two projects in the contract. 
So it's like, how do we go about talking about the next project? Do you wait to see if the book does well? Or do we talk about that now? Or how do you want to work it? And he said, either or, we want to finish off this one before we get too serious about anything. But if you have an idea, and I was like, as a matter of fact, like this summer, I ran this course to teach business owners how to talk about social justice. And I was going to make it into an evergreen course and launch it. But if you want it as a book, I won't. We can just do the book. And uh, I sent them a testimonial from someone who took the course and my experience in that area. And they were, they expressed some interest and then a little bit more. And then they were like, when can we get it? And then I had a contract. So that's one of phenomenal topic and I again I thought I was doing good in my stalking of you and I totally missed that course so I'm, I'm sad with myself but I'll I will go find it and I'm excited that it'll be a book that I can buy also so that leads me to sort of my third question which is that so you have business a clothing company coffee company book one book two how do you find a balance to all of that there's a lot of things that I don't do. Like I do a lot of things, but like I don't cook or clean. <laughs> I have a housekeeper who's amazing and she, I give myself permission to do as much or as little housework as I please. And she comes and fixes the aftermath or whatever life choice on a weekly basis. And then she'd be like, why are things sticky? I'm like, good question. <laughs> she's actually on my Facebook. So if I like, I'm baking, she's like, ah! and so she helps me out that way. I order in like pre-made meals that so I don't have to spend time standing cooking, which is like tiring and unpleasant. So I just don't. And I have a child who's very independent. You know, so I work in the microwave. He's good. Yeah. And just really very being very focused on prioritizing things, time management and making sure things make sense and just ruthlessly editing. In terms of like business, like I shut down two business lines a few months into the pandemic and um, still going to be shutting down another one or two coming up. So definitely just looking at what fits, what works with my bandwidth, what my projected bandwidth is going to be and just doing like air traffic control around what can land when, what makes sense and what needs to be pushed. And what still fits and what doesn't fit me more and just having time away to look at that and just assess what's really working what feels good and really listening to my body in terms of I used to do a lot of work supporting film and I found that really heavy launch based marketing where I'm like in the launch moment to moment is really hard on my body and as much as I love that work, and it was really important to me because I worked on some really important projects, my body was just like, we cannot do this again. <laughs> like, and, and everybody worked really hard to accommodate me. But just the reality, like sometimes some, thing, some industries need different things that our bodies just are not on board with. And that just had to be how it went. But definitely with some interesting opportunities. 
I love that description about air traffic control and things landing at different times. I can see that with all of these projects that you have going on, they're probably in different phases at different times. And so just working through that. For sure. And also, I don't do it all by myself either. Like, I actually hired my mom to help me because that is the first person I go to when I need something. So I could do that professionally also because she's really good at admin. So she like lovingly transcribed every interview in my book. And she supports me in so many different ways in my business. So that's been really helpful. And I also work with a writer out of California who is really aligned with what I do so that I can get some extra support in lining things up for me to be able to do what I need to do. That is awesome. Now, if people are listening to this and they're saying to themselves, oh my gosh, I love Allison. I want to know everything about her and follow her around. Where would we send them? So my website is allisontedford.com. And you can find me at Allison Tedford on Facebook for my Facebook page, which is like, as a warning, a lot of memes, a lot of social justice content. And, but just like a lot of memes. <laughs> I love that you do a meme dump every Friday, right? Every Friday, yeah, that's where the Friday meme dump lives now. Um, on Instagram, I'm also at Allison Tedford. And on Twitter, I'm at Ali Spins because I used to teach pole dance once upon a time. So I did actually literally spin a lot and that I didn't have any intention on becoming publicly anything when I developed that Twitter account. And then it just like massively grew. And I was like, now I have no idea what to do with that. So it just is. <laughs> wonderful. I am a big fan of the Friday meme dump. And I'll make sure I link to all those wonderful places in the show note. And as each of your amazing things happen, I will update your show notes so oh, that people yeah. who are listening can find the clothing company, the coffee company, the books, all there, as well, of course, links to your current social. So I really thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. This has been so fun to finally talk to you in person instead of just thank internet stalking you. you. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're wonderful. This is amazing. Yay. Thank you. And there you have it. I hope you had as much fun as I did listening to that interview. Allison is just so much fun, isn't she? So you can head on over to her website at alisontedford.com to learn more about her and the work that she does in the world. I hope that you're enjoying this series on rest and that it's giving you the nourishment that you need to take the break that you deserve. You matter. You have value. You deserve the opportunity to rest. So please go get some. I'll be back with you again next week. Bye for now.